Greenwood High Performance Podcast, where we share with you the stories, tips, tricks, and strategies of motocross and off-road races, health and fitness experts, and everyone in between who has an inspiring story to share. Coach Rob, in the flesh, welcome to Australia. Thank you, man. It's great to be here. It's a little little cold and a little wet, but it's nice. It is, yeah. Is it a nice change from Florida? I wouldn't change it for the world. I, I teased both Ray and Michaela. I said, I will absolutely, under no condition, will I be complaining about the cold while we're here. We left. It was probably 35, 36 degrees. And uh, I vow- it almost was awkward because we're packing sweatshirts. And I'm like, why are we packing these? We got off the plane, I'm like, thank goodness we packed these, because we haven't been in anything but long sleeves and jeans since we got here. Yeah, yeah. So, it's, uh, it's been good. It's glad to be here. Thanks for having us come down to Albury. Oh, it's my pleasure. I don't think I'm, I'm, don't think I'm accentuating the, the, the pronunciation correctly, so please forgive me for those that it's are very listening. very good. Very good. <laughs> I try. So, tell us a little bit about, I guess, what you're down here for with the camps. Um, I just did the three-day one with you, Matt Kembos, so... From my perspective, it was really great to see. I've done lots of motocross schools. Yeah. All they talk about is the riding. Mm. That's it. Okay. They, they, they give you very little or zero yeah. <laughs> nutrition, recovery, all those other bits. So that's what I loved about how you do it, how you join the dots between all those things and how that affects our performance on the bike. Well, first of all, I appreciate you you making the long, you know, 10 and a half hour drive to come up and, and be with us. It was great to have you there. Um, I'd never seen a Serco on the track before, so I was, I was impressed with that on a motocross track. Yeah, what we're here to do is um, we're hosting what we call Level 1 and Level 2 camps. And with the Level 1 camps, what we're trying to do is get people to understand the integration of physiology, let's call it strength, endurance, flexibility, understand and incorporate nutrition and hydration, kind of wrap it all up with sports psychology, and then simply bounce it against the physics of a motorcycle. Um, when we're on the motorcycle, I want people to understand that the motorcycle is nothing more than a moving gyroscope, forwards and backwards, left and right, top and bottom of the seat. So when people start to have that aha moment, like why am I coming through the braking bumps and the bike's at a 45 degree angle, not realizing that it's the gyroscope that's put them in that condition. And we always tease, once you get into that predicament of the bike being sideways, doesn't matter what's going on with the suspension, i.e. you've bought expensive A-kit or you've got an expensive motor or whatever it may be. Yeah. If you don't understand the gyroscope and you don't have the strength and the endurance and the flexibility to bring it back, you're going to be on your head. And as you've heard me say over and over again, I've even said it on other podcasts, I don't care about whether you have one or two fingers on the front brake. To me, I'm worried about is the bike knifing through the braking bumps. Can you get the bike to stick both entrance, apex, and exit? Where's your body? Is it fighting against the bike? And as we talked about at camp, you know, what we see is most people are fighting against the bike. Yeah. Because nobody discusses the gyroscope. Uh, One of the best examples I always like to say is when somebody's coming into a corner and they keep dabbing their foot. I don't think that the rider is doing it intentionally. Nobody wants to have a torn ACL, MCL. However, if we do a functional assessment and there's a power struggle between the hamstrings and the quads above and below the, the, the femur, well, that could be the reason why that, especially when you get younger kids and they've got this heavy boot on the end of their leg, yeah, they're not dabbing it because they want to be belligerent. They may not have the strength, they may not have the flexibility, or there may be a muscular imbalance of strength fighting against the head of the femur. 
and that's why they're not riding well and yeah. they just get frustrated so that's the unique approach we like to do with the camps um, I don't I'm not here to uh, try to get into an argument about like we teased about how many fingers on a break when and when when and where to sit down in a corner those to me are dominoes that you take care of after the first part's done the foundation that's why we call it level one yeah. we get into level two get a little bit more sophisticated and it goes on from there so yeah that's what makes ours unique yeah yeah i love it so where i guess how or where did you i guess come up with that philosophy of with the physics and how yeah. the bike because i that for me the way you described it and um how you i not just described it but how you coached it and got us on the bikes and the stand and did those drills that was like a bit of a light bulb for me. Good. Just a couple of those little things that really clicked. Good. So is how has that been something you've evolved over the years? It literally is. Um, if anybody knows me and follows, I, I tend to be a little bit analytical with things. Um, I've been kind of coined the, the Sheldon Cooper of, of motocross. And I take that as a compliment. My whole thing is, is I like to look outside the box a little bit. I think that, and, and I don't want this to sound sarcastic, when you look at the law of physics... It always works for you. Uh, we have a very large triathlon segment, and when you're trying to teach somebody to swim, I'll get this excuse that I'm too muscular, or I'm too, I got, I have big bones, or I'm too fat, or whatever the 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 coin is. Yeah. And I always say, if I can make an aircraft carrier that takes and carries airplanes, and I can get a piece of steel that size to float in the water, I can teach you how to float. It's all about understanding hydrodynamics. Yeah. When we're working with triathletes on the bike, it's aerodynamics. When you get to the motorcycle, it's nothing more than the offsetting of the physics. And when you, we do a lot in the road racing circuit as well. And you can imagine um, when you're looking at lean angles and you've got that much G-force, you've got lateral pull. We've done stuff in Formula One. You're looking at lateral pull coming out of turn three at the Indianapolis 500, for example. Mm -hmm. When you start applying the law of physics and you go from four wheels to two wheels, you start to have to kind of take a step back and go, and that's why I like to call it a moving gyroscope. If you've ever taken a top and you've spun it, and then yeah. you try to push it, you see how it kind of forces and, and kind of the physics is working against you pushing it. And that was the big epiphany for myself is I'm like, you're trying to take something that's reacting to, let's call it a double jump, a set of braking bumps, a set of rollers. Well, if we understand that for every action, there's a reaction yeah. And if I can get the body strong enough and in the right position, flexibility plays a big role. Then when the bike does hit a braking bump, that kicker isn't going to have as much physics. I don't want that to sound crazy. The physics of a braking bump will have less of a negative reaction because the athlete sees it. He or she knows what to do to offset it before it hits. Mm. And that's what I love about physics. If you know what's coming and you can get ahead of it, then when it kicks, you're already in the right position. I, that's the example I gave. Hit a braking bump. The bike doesn't have input or it's not being squeezed low. The bike goes to a 45-degree angle. Well, you can't correct that with a throttle or a rear brake as we do when we go off a jump. Yeah. So we had to start looking at, well, what can we do? Anybody who's followed me for a long period of time, I want everything we do, excuse me, everything we do to be done in a proactive manner. Don't wait until you pop a muscle to start foam rolling. Yeah. Don't wait until you dehydrate to start working on nutrition or yeah. hydration. Unfortunately, so what, that's a, it takes some people yeah, to get to that point. Yeah, I, and, and I'll be the first one to admit, I mean, I had to buy the T-shirt to finally realize <laughs> yeah. it's important enough. Yeah. Um, when we're looking at the gyroscope of the motorcycle, everything that I want to do, and, I, and I've said this even back to the CBS broadcast with Dungy, I was on 
you know, on public record of saying, I don't live in a world of emotion. I work in a world of zeros and ones. And that honestly is a foundation of everything in our running market, our triathlon mm-hmm. market, our moto market. We do a lot in speed and agility. Tennis, we call it ball and stick sports, tennis, lacrosse, yeah. anything that involves acceleration, deceleration, pivot, and reacceleration, it still comes down to physics. Mm. And the motorcycle, because you're now working at high velocities of speed and you've got the front end, the back end, you've got a body that's trying to ride it like a jockey on a horse, you've got to integrate the two. But what we have found is that they're kind of yinging and yanging against each other. Yeah. And that's how we came up with the, the whole principle and, and the formula, if you will. And we've we've really enjoyed the success. You know, even this weekend, we were talking with uh, one of the moms, and the rider was he's quite accomplished. He was eight seconds faster at the track at Mount Kembla by the time we got to Wednesday. Yeah. To me, that's it's not about me. He understood the concepts and Mm. is obviously applying them. Because by the time we got to Wednesday, we didn't rip the track, we didn't groom the track, we just let it go its normal route. And he was still eight seconds faster after three days. And that was during open practice where there was another 50, 60 bikes out. Yeah. So that's what warms my heart is when somebody can, like you said, you have that epiphany. That's when we know that we're making some progress. Now you're going to have safer riders. You're going to have people that can ride longer, faster without risking getting hurt because they're not, you know, in the wrong position. Start to get tired. All of a sudden they hit the kicker with the wrong body position. Well, then that reaction is going to be much more exaggerated. Hit the ground and you break. Yeah. So that's where we kind of close the circle. If you do have a get off, we want you to be both strong and flexible, but we'd rather you not hit the ground by understanding how to offset the physics of braking bumps, stutter bumps, acceleration bumps, whoops, step on, step offs, hitting the face of a jump and it didn't go the way you thought it was going to go. Yeah. How do you correct that? Yeah. Strength, balance, that's it. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I love that how you, I think the term you used was joining the dots backwards, but yep. When a prop, if it say a fault presents itself, it's, mm-hmm. that's not always. People always look at if you're not, as an example, if you're standing up in the middle of the turn, then yep. I love how you. Well, it's it's not the turn that's a problem. It's probably coming into that turn. That's right. And same can go for for race fitness too. Like if you're blown out at the end of the race, then it's quite. A, it's probably not something you're doing on the track. It's what's going on off the track yeah exactly but that's the part that makes our sport so difficult and we've teased about this numerous times everybody's answer is stiffer suspension faster motor yeah the problem is the faster motor stiffer suspension is only going to bring your inept lack of fitness lack of flexibility lack of focus on nutrition mentally distracted it's only going to bring it to the surface quicker yeah and that's the part that I think people misunderstand is from a parent standpoint you're never going to get a young rider who's going to commit to doing foam rolling until he or she can see that that's going to reduce the risk of injury. Yeah. So as a, as a physiologist, I believe it's my responsibility for them to see, hey, do this, reap the benefits. And I, I always say, I'm asking you to do a lot of stuff in blind faith. You may not understand the why now until you have a fourth gear wide open get off and you're able to run back to your bike. Yeah, exactly. That's when you'll be able to go, wow, okay, it's working. Instead of, well... Rob has said to do the foam rolling. I didn't do it. Had a four-speed get-off. Now I've got all kinds of torn tendons and ligaments. And we need the listeners to understand tendons and ligaments, ligaments attach bone to bone, tendons attach muscles to bone. Well, if that tissue is not pliable, that's where you're going to tear stuff. Mm. Well, I'm the first one to admit, foam rolling is very, very boring. But if you know that that's going to make the tissue pliable, it's going to reduce your risk of injury. So the parents need to understand that you've got to find ways... For it to resonate with the younger riders. The older riders need to see the importance of it. 
you're already dedicating a lot of time and resources. The time, and we, you heard me refer to it in camp, the non-sweating components. Absolutely. The most important component is going to be sleep and eat. The next two components are going to be strength and flexibility. After that, you got to wrap it up with sports psychology in that order. Mm. But the problem is, is that requires some dedication and discipline. And ironically, because it doesn't hurt to focus, I mean, sometimes foam rolling with your, especially you with your rumble rollers, <laughs> um, those rumble rollers can be a little bit uncomfortable. But for the most part, focusing on eating and sleeping is not going to be painful. It unfortunately just requires dedication and discipline, getting to bed early enough. Because we all know we have to wake up at a certain time, yeah. but we don't put ourselves to bed early enough to get the necessary amount of sleep. Yeah. And I understand you've got two little ones at home, you, you're running a business, you're, you're doing a lot. But at, and I, I, I don't want any of the listeners to ever take us as, as being condescending to them at all. But how long are you going to know what to do, see the importance of it, choose not to do it until you're forced to recognize that you've got to do something? Most mm. probably the best example would be waiting to foam roll. You know, once your lower back goes into spasm and now you can't get on the motorcycle, yeah. now you're going to really dedicate yourself to taking an Epsom salt bath, getting a massage, doing a foam rolling. Yeah. Well, they've heard you talk about it. They've heard me talk about it. They've come to your gym. They may have even worked with you. You send them home and say, don't forget the foam roll. And they shake their head and say they'll <laughs> do it. And then they report to you two days later for another gym session. And they kind of got a little gimp in their step. And you're like, what's wrong? Oh, the lower back's a little tight. Did you foam roll when I asked you to go home? No. All right. Well, what do you want me to do for you? Nothing. There's nothing you can do. So I think the takeaway for any of the listeners would be if we're asking you to do something, that's where that blind faith comes in. Mm-hmm. I'm asking you to do it because I don't want you to wait until you have to do it. Yeah, for I, sure. This is that whole idea about being proactive. Yeah. And, and in all fairness to the listeners, though, if they don't know what to do, that's why I'm so motivated to have video, to have podcasts, to have articles, to have videos instructional videos on YouTube versus, you know, podcast type videos. Yeah. We can't expect people to do things that they don't know. And this is going to sound a little bit pompous on your and I's behalf. There's a lot of dumb coaches out there. They really don't know the why behind it. And when I say dumb, I'm talking about by definition, they're truly dumb. They're ignorant to the knowledge of what they should be teaching. Yeah. That's the dangerous part. Because there's a lot of people that are like, okay, I'm going to commit. I'm going to get a performance coach such as yourself and he or she declares that they know moto, they know moto, and they don't. Yeah. And then they end up doing the wrong thing, getting hurt, frustrated that they hired a trainer. I hate that word trainer because that's so adulterated <laughs> right now. But you get the gist of what we're saying. So yeah, that's why I'm so glad to have people like yourself out there. It's doing it the right way. Yeah, you for know? sure. Um, I get. I think. Unfortunately, some people have to go down that or go on that journey to True. get to that point. But True. I, I think. Our sport, and you kind of mentioned it at Mount Kemble there, but our sport, I think there's such a disparity between the amount of money people are spending to go racing mm-hmm. and the amount of time and money they're investing in their own their own health and performance sure. compared agree. to most, any other sport. I like, agree. To go and play footy or go be a triathlete, triathlete, well, you were telling me the other day, yeah. day triathlete bike's pretty expensive, yeah. but yeah. you get my drift, like, Absolutely. to go play football, you buy a pair of $100 footy boots, and away you go. You're off, absolutely. Um, yep. We're spending, like, people would be spending 50k plus a year to go racing, Yep. and then they're eating Cheerios and... Just garbage. Yeah, and it's that crazy, sense. it's crazy yep. to me. Now, I'm right there with you, and and when they understand, and this is where I feel that 
that's why I appreciate your podcast and the time and the effort you put into it. If we can have one out of a hundred people that something we say resonates with them and they don't run down and, you know, spend an extra $4,000 on a, a set of suspension, you know, there, you've got some tuners and I apologize. I don't know them right off the top of my head, but shout out to June tech. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. I didn't want to mispronounce it. Um, you know, that's the best investment you can do on your motorcycle. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure that he would say the same thing, not because that's what he does. We can sit and argue all day long, but I believe that stock motors that come off the showroom floor are plenty of power for 90% of the people out there. Absolutely. Well, if that power is not working with you, so I can work on the strength, you can work on flexibility, I can work on nutrition, you work on the sports psychology, until they get a good suspension specialist that can distribute that power and the moving person to the rear wheel without it, you know, reacting and fighting them. I don't know what the price is. I know there's a, there's a whole spectrum, but we're not talking thousands of dollars to get your bike. To, excuse me, to get your suspension dialed. Yeah. So, for somebody who is rec- wanting to make the biggest progress in the smallest amount of time, just simply invest in good suspension, get it set up properly for your weight, your riding style, the conditions, understand tire pressure. Now let's talk about what you're going to do off the bike to ride that to its potential, which brings it full circle. Take your stock motor, take your stock suspension, let it get properly set, and then let's talk about the things. We're still not even talking about high-intensity workouts, sweating, strength training, the non-fun stuff, the hard work. We're still talking about, like you said, food, sleep, flexibility, the non-sweating components, but we'll spend 50K going racing. Yeah. But yet we won't put ourselves to bed two hours earlier. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. Well, Ouch. and like food, it's such a simple, like we have to eat. You got to mm-hmm. eat. You got to eat. So, so you got to put food in your mouth. So yeah. It's just simply making, a, I guess, a better choice. And again, that comes down, I think, sadly, people don't, or the, the knowledge they have is not allowing them to make those choices sometimes. Absolutely. Which we've spoken about before, but... Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, hopefully, the, the more information we give them, they can, yes. they can make those better choices. And I like what you just brought up, because you kind of have two situations. You have those that don't care. That's its own issue. Helping them to understand the importance, and then they become accountable and responsible. Boom, we got that done. Then when they make that commitment to it, providing them this simple, non-agenda information, as you always hear me say, fruits and vegetables and lean protein. I'm not making any money off that suggestion. Yeah, that's right. So keep it simple. Keep the agendas out. Just in 100% transparency, most people know I own my own supplement business. I don't want you on supplements until we identify that you're not getting enough amino acids, mm. some vitamin C, D, fish oil, whatever it may be. Start with real food, please. Yeah. Please, start with real food. How do you do that? Go to your grocery store, shop your perimeter. You're good. So for somebody who says, okay, I'm going to listen to Ben and I'm going to make that commitment, then they jump on the other side of the fence and they're like, all right, what do I do? Fruits, vegetables, and lean protein. Go. If you did, how much can you mess that up? Now, you and I both know the biggest challenge we run into is once they make that commitment, they don't get enough of it. Yeah, for sure. But you can't screw up fruits and vegetables and lean protein. Yeah. It's that simple. So that's why I appreciate your podcast and I appreciate the people that are willing to listen because they've been told protein's good, protein's bad, fat's good, fat's bad, carbs good, carbs are bad. So by Friday, no, they're like, I, yeah. I'm back on the other side of the fence because I don't care anymore. Yeah. Because somebody wants to sell them a jug of something, a bar of something, a can of something. No. Keep it real food. Yeah. And that's what I hope your listeners really pick up on is, 
you know, all these agendas and the ads in the magazines and online ads and all these, you know, so-called pros endorsing the product. That's mm. why it's called an endorsement. Yeah. You know, are they really, <laughs> you and I both know there's a lot of people that endorse products that don't use them. Yeah, absolutely. And it's hard for the, I don't want to become, I don't want this, this word to come across the wrong way, but to the average Joe, they don't know how to decipher between the, the credibility of an ad and somebody they, they respect endorsing it versus are they really using it. And then we get into the efficacy of the product and integrity and advertising and all that. That's why I say strip it away. Yeah. Keep it simple. Same thing with motorcycle. Don't go buying everything in the world that you can. I mean, my goodness, these stock bikes can can put a hurting on anybody. They're so yeah, fast. Absolutely. You know, why are you going to take and send it off and get it ported and polished and yeah. slap a pipe on it and a header and redo the timing and mapping? And I was like, whoa, 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 time out. You ride the socks <laughs> off that stock bike with the suspension dial yeah. and then move from there. Yeah. So like you say, it's all relevant. The consistency. Food is your fuel in the bike. Mm. Well, nobody goes to the track and says, I'm going to fill my gas tank up one time today. Yeah. But yet they think that they can eat breakfast and they're good all day long. Yeah. Their excuse, oh, I can't eat on race day. Okay. Just don't put any more fuel in your bike. <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. Your fluid is going to be your radiator and your high quality foods, particularly fats, are going to be your lube. It's going to be your oil and your engine casings. Yeah. If you can draw a parallel with those, you get it. It's no more sophisticated than that. But not everybody wants it. That's like you and I have talked about off the record. That's where the self-serving agendas become a little bit disheartening. Yeah, for sure. Because we're just out there trying to spread the word. We're not trying to peddle products or services. Yeah, that's right. That's all. You know? And that's what I love about, about the Moto E camp because you give the, you give the riders that knowledge as well. Try that's to. I really love. Like even when we're sitting down having our lunch break, you're drilling them yeah. with, with information sure. on nutrition and... Which was really cool. I love that. Well, I appreciate it. And, and like you saw, my big thing is, okay, we're having lunch. Talk to me. What, what are you confused about with nutrition? Yeah. Because the great part is what we have 20, 25 people there, maybe 35 with parents. Yeah. They're all going to hear it differently. So when you have your wife and yourself there and your little rider is there, you're going to hear it three completely different ways. But at the end of the day, if there's a little bit of overlap, that gray area where it overlaps it, you heard it one way, she heard it this way, that's going to be the sweet spot. Yeah, And if the family goes away and has a little bit more knowledge on the truth about amino acids repairing muscle, the importance of protein supporting the immune system, whatever it is, and then, you know, I mean, you heard some of the questions, which were great. Yeah. Stuff that goes out in left field because a local gym guy down the street is trying to advocate this or somebody who's in a multi-level marketing is trying to push that. And they've got all this, you know, I love all the quote unquote backup documentation to, to justify the need for the product. Yeah. Really? So that's why I appreciate what you're saying there. It's when we look at lunch, that's why you saw in the in the itinerary that we sent out, I specifically say, please don't go on your best behavior. Yeah. Bring to the racetrack what you normally eat and let's talk about it. Yeah. It's not about you, 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 bad, 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 did a bad thing. If you don't know, you don't know. Exactly. You know, but when you leave and you do know, then, then you're empowered with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're empowered with the right info. Yeah. I think that that's what I tell everyone I work with too. Like there is, there's no right or wrong. There's no good or bad. Mm-hmm. You, they are simply making, like I said before, they they don't have that knowledge, so they're just making decisions based on the skills, knowledge, and experience they have up until that point. That's so, right. And that and that's what I love about the Moto E camp. You you're giving them that skills, knowledge, and experience. And like you just said, then it's in their pocket. The ball's in their court. Then that's the they've goal. They've got to make that. Choice. Just like I said, the first five minutes of the camp. Every single thing you do, you should be able to tell me why you're doing it. Yeah. I don't care if it's choosing a certain type of boot, certain color of gear, 
why your bike is set up or configured, why you're eating this and why you're drinking that. If you understand the why behind it, it's like you and I said, when we look at why you can't get through the breaking bumps, I have a responsibility as a physiologist and somebody who likes to research the physics of racing motorcycles. I have a responsibility to give that information. But I can sit and tell you why it's happening. Now I want to give you the tools that you can fix. I don't want to talk in circles. If I can show you that the proper biomechanics on the motorcycle is going to help you get through braking bumps, mm. I then have a moral responsibility to show you the strength and the flexibility necessary to get you into that position yeah. so that you can then offset what we know is coming. That's why I was saying if I can get, and we talked about this at camp, if I can get somebody to look at a braking bump and go back 20 meters, that's your frustration. Okay, so freeze time when that rider hits that lo- hits that spot. Yeah. Does he or she have the flexibility and the strength? If they do, turn the let the camera continue to roll. He or she can hit it. Are they dragging the rear brake so the suspension's got input so the bike doesn't unload? It's going to come off the ground sometimes. We get that. But are you in a position, i.e., you're not in front of the pegs and now you're overweighting the front end. Now you hit a kicker with the rear end because you're not centered on the bike. Of course it's going to unload its physics. Mm. You see how this domino continues to build? Yeah. But it's that idea of, let me explain to you the physics from a moving gyro standscope. Let me jump back over here to the physiology of what's required. Let's put those two together and you see that braking bump? How are we going to handle it? Now we're back 20 meters going, okay. I understand what the bike's going to do. I understand what I need to do. Like you said earlier, off the bike, I've done what I know I need to do. Yeah. I've educated myself on the physics of the motorcycle. I put those two together. Now let me hit that braking bump. Yeah. And you knife right through it. Yeah. And you've heard me say this over and over again. What I have to then preach is, okay, you got through the braking bump. That's awesome. But now your entrance speed in the corner is two kilometers faster than you've ever gone. Yeah. But nobody's told you how to use the front brake to, to, to make the corner. Obviously, we're not going to go into everything. We go into the camps here for the sake of time. But the frustration with the rider, and I loved what you said, rider comes into a right-hand turn and high sides to the left. That's physics. Yeah. There's no reason for the motorcycle to stand up when you're going right unless, and the rest of it goes back to camp. Yeah, yeah. You know, and things that need to be taught. Yeah. If you don't understand that, well, the, the rider goes in, he or she tiptoes around or high sides. And I don't want to be a bearer of bad news, but you and I both have seen this. How many people have broken their wrist or blown out their AC joint in their shoulder because of a high side? Yeah, lots. <laughs> Especially when they're high-speed high sides. Yeah, for sure. So, okay, I can teach you how to get through the braking bumps, but if I don't teach you how to get into the corner safely, mm. then you high side. It's natural to put your hand out. Put your hand out at a high-speed get-off. The, the head of the, I don't want to talk big terminology, but the top of your arm here, your humerus, it can only go back so far. And then once it reaches the back, that's when the tearing begins. Yeah. You hear people saying, I blew my shoulder out. I've got rotator cuff tear. I got pec major tear. Well, please to the people who are listening, I don't want you to get overwhelmed what I'm saying. The end result is now a blown out shoulder or a broken wrist. The catalyst for that was high side. The catalyst for the high side was bike didn't have input not learning how to control entrance speed. Yeah. All because somebody taught you how, even if you just use what we talked about today. Okay, so you know how to get through the braking bump, but nobody taught you how to handle the speed that you created. So now you create a new problem. Mm. That's why we say it in the camp all the time. We always need to teach dominoes backwards. Yeah. yeah. So for example, you'll notice 
when we started the camp, what did we start with? How to turn the motorcycle. Why? Because you turn for cash. You know, when they say turn, turn for sh- jump for show, turn for dough. Yeah. Very, very fun <laughs> cliche to say. Yeah. But the idea here is most riding coaches, and I'm not calling anybody out, they want to go right into entrance into the corner. Yeah. That's their big push. Well, that's, that's what I was going to say. Everyone at that camp got better, got faster through the corners. And I don't think once I heard you instructing anyone to accelerate harder into the corner or no. brake harder before the corner. That's right. That's where we no get into level. Of that, but no. It was all about the technique and everyone got faster at turning the bike. And, and I like what you said about, you know, two, no two shoes fit everybody the same way. It's meeting the person where they're at on age, maturity, experience, having the, having the insight to say, okay, at a certain age, we're going to start having to deal with ramifications of injuries, scar tissue, lack of range of motion. You work for a living, maybe not as fit as you want to be or could be. So you meet that person where they're at and you say to them, okay, you could do better in the corners if you just dedicated three 20-minute sessions a week to flexibility. Yeah. Well, they need somebody to tell them that because, and particularly guys, we all like to do what we're already good at. We don't like to be told we're bad at anything. So when somebody can say to themselves, hey, okay, the best use, I've only got 20 minutes a day. What should I do? Should I go do cardio? Should I do strength? Or should I do flexibility? Well, how am I supposed to know that? What is your biggest physical limiter on the bike? If you can't catch your breath, probably should work on cardio. If you're just getting so tuckered you have to sit down, probably should work strength. Yeah. If you can't get into the right biomechanical position, you probably should work flexibility. That's all. Mm. Work on your biggest problems first, and eventually they all become good. Yeah. So like you're saying there, that's why you never hear me say, get on the gas earlier. You know, Some of the stuff is beyond the scope of the podcast, but yeah. you know, there's a time and a place to, to transition into power. And as you heard me say, when you make the commitment to power... It's got to be a hundred percent commitment. It's on. Yeah, but the dominoes—let's call it five dominoes—before we commit to power, those all have to fall in place. As soon as one domino falls out of sync, yeah, high sides, low sides, getting passed in corners, getting passed by people you shouldn't—all the frustrations that people get going. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're trying to avoid. Yeah, I think that's another thing. Unfortunately, people a lot of the time are just going around in circles with their training. Like they don't have. They're not testing anything, so they don't actually know what their weakness is. There you go. Whether they're whether it's muscular, whether it's flexibility, totally whether it's agree. endurance. So yep. they might be training, but they're just essentially beating their head up against a wall. Yep. Training for the sake of it. Yep. Getting their heart rate up. They're not actually achieving anything. It goes back to what you said. Before they didn't care. Now they care and they're training the wrong way. Mm. Or nobody brings any insight to them. Yeah. I always say it this way, and, and for anybody who's listening to your podcast that's a physician, I'm not trying to throw you under the bus. But when you go to somebody who gets paid to do orthopedic surgeon surgeries, they want to cut. That's how they get paid. When you go to a doctor, he's getting paid, she's getting paid by writing scripts and getting you back in the office. What we're talking about is... You go to the gym because you commit that you want to be strong, and then you hire somebody that's in the gym that understands nothing about the functional strength. And that word's getting adulterated now like no other. I've been doing this since 78. I've always worked in a three-dimensional plane. Now some of these new, let's just call spade a spade, CrossFit wants to get into this big buzzword of functional training. Functional training has been around for forever, but it's just real sexy and sizzling, and you can put it in really small outfits and get these really lean bodies and it and I get it it's fun and it's challenging yeah my point is 
if somebody's listening and they want to be better, I don't care if they're riding off-road or they're riding dirt bikes on a motocross track or road racers or mountain bikers or you've got a very diversified listener base. The idea is at the end of the day, you need to be going to somebody such as yourself that understands the demands of the sport you're doing, understands what it's going to take to be successful, not just get through it, but actually that continuum of improvement as we always talk about. Yeah. So one of the things that disturbs me is when a parent comes to me, and I had this exact thing happen. We were at Loretta's, and for the listeners, Loretta's is our amateur national championship back in the States. It's a six-day race. Yeah. Practices on Monday, the races begin. It's if You can only race two classes. So the way the calendar falls is you usually will race one time a day. Maybe one day a week you might have two motos. That's not where I'm going with it. But we get to the middle of the week, and we're there. And this dad comes over, and he is irate. Just absolutely irate. And he's like, I need to talk to you. I said, what can, we, how, you know, what can I help you with? He's like, I don't get it. He goes, I hired a nutritionist. I hired a sports psychologist. I hired a strength and conditioning coach. I have a stretching coach. He just, he just goes on this laundry list of Real all these mom. professionals that he got. Yeah. And, of course, he had a riding coach. And he's like, my son's riding worse now than he's been riding all year long. <laughs> And how do you tell him? And, and I'm not saying anything that he didn't convey. He's like, I spend almost $6,000 a month on professionals. Yeah. And my son's slower now than he's ever been. And I tried to explain this concept that you're yinging and yanging. Mm. A strength and conditioning coach who knows nothing about moto, all he can see is bike weighs 100 kilos. We're going to make you strong. Yeah. Well, strong to push and pull in a three-dimensional plane is different than being just physically strong. Well, he or she as a trainer only sees be strong. Yeah. Somebody who's a facilitated stretcher. They're trying to make you look like a gymnast or a Gumby. That's not always good. So then also you go to a nutritionist who doesn't understand, you know, look at these new watches nowadays. You and I talked about this off the record. You know, with these new watches, they'll give you the caloric burn. Yeah. So when you've got a nutritionist that doesn't understand that, you know, a 75 kilo person is going to burn close to 1,000 calories, 1,500 calories. And I've literally seen it as high as 1,500 calories in an hour. Yeah. And they're like, oh, no, we're going to pull out this little generic formula. We're going to take your kilograms, and we're going to divide it by this, and we're going to multiply it by that. And that's how many grams of protein you're supposed to take in. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So you can imagine this dad's frustration. Yeah. The kid, and I'm going to, because it's in line with what we're talking about here today. Yeah. This dad went to such extent, he said, look, I was told exactly how much to eat, what to drink, when to drink it, and my son literally has diarrhea, cramping, and he can't finish the moto strong. Mm. And he's like, then why did I hire a nutritionist? I'm like, man, I'm sorry you spent the money on it. But, and this is not to disrespect any nutritionist. You could have nutritionists that are listening that are dialed. Yeah, my point wrong. to the listener is find that good dialed yeah. nutritionist, exactly. not a textbook Ted over in the corner that sits with a calculator and says, eat this many grams. Yeah. Look at the broader picture. Yeah. Are you, you know, are you in weather that's 35 degrees and 100% humidity? Fluid needs are going to be different. Hmm. And we, we have our own methodology on how we evaluate that, but it needs to be real world, not this clinical setting. Yeah. You and I have talked about this off the record as well. That's why I'm not a big fan of VO2 max assessments. Yeah. You're going into a clinical setting and with controlled environment of temperature and humidity. How does that exemplify what you're doing outdoors? Yeah. If it matters to you that your VO2 max number went up by two, cool, go for it. Yeah. I'm not going to ask you to spend the money on it because I don't see its relevancy. So <coughs> that's what we want people to always understand is yeah. you know, what you do, you personally, is priceless for somebody that wants to make the greatest amount of progress in the shortest amount of time. 
we're not sitting here beating our chest like we know everything, but we know what we know and we explain why we know it yeah. and why you should do it. Yeah. Other trainers are like, hey, you just wait. Next week, I'll explain that to you. No, you just wait till next week. I'll explain that to you. A year later and lots of money later and not really reaching your goals. And then I always love this one. When you ask, hey, why are we not getting where I thought we were going to be? So let's say it's body fat, strength to weight ratios, max heart rate, time to fatigue, whatever. Now they're offended because you questioned them. Yeah. I, I, I'm not saying I'm the best trainer in the world, but I love when someone asks questions. And yeah, I always say, I, I, I'll tell you what to do. Yeah. And if you, when we have our weekly calls, if you want to do a deep dive, we'll go there. Yeah. Some people are like, I don't care. You've got yeah. 35 years of experience. I don't need to go to school. That's why I'm paying you. Yeah. Get it. But those that are analytical and want to know, but even the ones that say, I'd pay you just to tell me what to do. Yeah. I always feel a responsibility for them to understand just below the surface, mm, the sure. why behind it. We yeah. don't need to get into the blood chemistry. We don't need to get into the stretch reflex. We don't need to get into all of that unless you want to. But every one of my clients knows that tomorrow's workouts is a block that fits into a seven-day cycle. Yeah. And that seven-day cycle fits into a six- to an eight-week block. And that six- to eight-week block fits into their overall annual goals. Yeah, I love it when a client says, why are we doing this? It's Even fun. when we send our schedules, we try to be very specific. Workout description. Here's why you're doing it. Yeah. Because if they know why, they're more confident. They're focused, as you said earlier. They end up ending the week a little bit fitter and faster. Yeah. I don't see where that's a hard formula. <laughs> if the person's willing to be accountable and responsible. Yeah, so absolutely. So that's the key. Yeah. Every session got a purpose. Every session has to have a purpose. And sometimes the session is to do nothing at all. Yeah. But do you understand why? Yeah. You know, there, there's where it takes the two ends of the book. You know, an LT workout, lactate threshold workout, or a total rest day. Yeah. Do you, the listener to the podcast right now, do you understand why you're doing that? Mm. And someone like yourself explaining blood chemistry and reestablishing cytochrome C and creatine in the blood, et cetera, et cetera. If the client understands the purpose of it. Yeah. Because I know I've been there. Rest days, that's for Sally's. Yeah. That's for the weak guys. Those yeah. are the non-committed guys. Until I got literally overtrained, and yeah, I was at the Olympic right. Training Center, and he's, it was a Belgium cycling coach. He says, what are you doing? Where's your rest day? I go, I don't rest. That's for guys who don't want to win. And he goes, no, that's where you're making you a mistake. Wrong. Yeah, but <clears throat> like you said, we've all been there and bought the T-shirts, so I don't want the yeah, listeners yeah. thinking we're sitting up on our high horses. Yeah. A lot of what I've been through, I, I don't want others to go through it. Yeah. And as I've said another time, another podcast when I was trying to find the information there wasn't Google <laughs> you know there we were at the yeah. library trying to find any book or resource we could and yeah. think about it you're at the limitation of a, what resources the library had on nutrition strength sports psychology and all that now these individuals have so much info exactly. it's almost gone the other direction like who to trust what's true yeah, what's not right. so yeah. it's tough I respect the listeners yeah. in a dilemma for sure yeah yeah for sure and again that's the purpose of doing the podcast that's like right <laughs> and thank you for listening for everybody who's been with us this far but you're exactly right like it is and i was i was thinking that the other day like it's almost so easy for people now mm-hmm. like in terms of like i did a workout on my spin trainer this morning whilst i was watching a youtube video on um the metabolism of lactate like cool yeah like it's so easy to get information and knowledge these days yep um but like you say it's almost to the point where it's too much and people mm-hmm. are confused and well they're so, overwhelmed yeah you know um, when you look at like we do a lot with sports psychology and 
the thing that we find with people is like, for example, we do some consulting with new entrepreneurs. I'm a big fan of trying to encourage people to start their own businesses. And I, one of the things, especially with social media being as big as it is, you know, if you're running your business and you just happen to glance at the social media and somebody's, you know, DM'd you, well, now your brain's thinking, okay, I've got that mm-hmm. DM I got to respond to, but you didn't give yourself enough time. You're just kind of hitting it on the fly. Yeah. Well, you don't realize now your brain's kind of distracted. It's like, okay, I got to get to that DM. Yeah. You sit down to your emails and you're like, oh man, I've got 11 emails I need to respond to. But you've got six minutes before you got to be with your client. So now you're sitting out there with your client thinking about mm-hmm. your six emails and your five DMs that you didn't get to. Yeah. And the brain just starts to get overwhelmed. It's literally information overload because yeah. when we're teaching entrepreneurs how to time manage, you can't manage time. You can only manage yourself. Yeah. But if you block out one hour to do emails and you're in that moment, you'll, you'll pound out, I don't know the exact number, five, yeah. six times the volume because yeah. you're not checking your email. Oh, I got to check a DM. Oh, I got to go to my email. Your brain's just like a disco ball. It's all over the place. And that's how I feel people are when they go to Google. They want to, all right, they're going to cross that line. I don't care, and now I do care. So then they jump into this worldwide web of information, and then it becomes, there's so much information, they jump back on the other side of the fence and go, because the body doesn't like, the brain can't process that much information. Yeah. This is, a, this is an actual definition. The definition of insanity is letting too much of reality in. We don't realize that our brain has a filter and a capacity. And when we get, you know, when we get past it, you have two little ones. You know how fatigue settles in with you and Bond and then low blood sugar and you're hungry and you still have a five-hour drive ahead of you to get you back from your parents' house. And it just, same example, just put it up on steroids. Yeah. If the brain is getting so much information, and like you said, it started as, how should I stretch? Let's just start with that. Mm. And you go and you Google that. And there's a million, <laughs> literally, I love yeah. Google because it'll tell you there's 1,033,000 finds in one nanosecond. Which one do you look at? Yeah. Which one do you click on? Yeah. And then heaven forbid you click on three different ones and you get three complete different opinions. <laughs> so that's when the person says, forget it. I'm back on the other side of the fence. Yeah. It's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. It's on one side, there used to be no information. So mm. no one did anything. Now there's so much information, people are not doing anything. Yeah. And that's why we do things in video. That's why we do things in articles. That's why we do live workshops and camps because we respect that everybody learns it differently. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's getting, and you hear me say this quite a bit. I want all the listeners to understand that you as a listener to this podcast have a responsibility to cross validate every number that you look at. So we, we look at uh, four variables, five, depending on some clients on a daily basis color of urine, hours of sleep, body weight in the morning, body weight at night, hours of sleep. So what we're trying to get you to take a look at is your body weight in the morning is not a sign of body fat. It's a sign of inflammation and swelling. Your body weight at night tells me if you're getting enough fruits and vegetables and if you've properly hydrated through the day. When I look at hours of sleep with the new watches and the sleep variables, not only do we look at how many hours, but we look at the quality of sleep, how many sleep cycles, etc. When we're looking at color of urine, if you really tore the muscle tissue down cross-training or riding your motorcycle and it's dark yellow and has a pungent smell, we know that that's a variable for the need for more protein. Yeah. For somebody to come in and say, Ben, you need more protein. Okay, based on what grounds? Yeah. Is it performance related? Is it because you keep getting sick every other week and we know your immune system is jeopardized? Always ask why and cross-validate. 
I'll have people that are like, oh my goodness, I'm freaking out. You know, I'm two pounds heavier this morning. Yeah. Well, if you just did 10 by 500 meters or 1,000 meters on the rower and yeah. you really, really pushed it because that was the focus of the workout was to push the LT, lactate yeah. threshold, we expect to see that inflammation and swelling. You as a performance coach, you tell them that that's going to happen. They don't freak out when they see it be a kilo heavier in the morning. Yeah. They know why. If their body weight is down at the end of the day, we know, hey, you may be sweating more than you realize. Mm. Start looking at your sweat rate. Don't use the number as just an exclusive number. Yeah. Look below the surface. Any of those five are always an easy example. Yeah, yeah. Always. Sure. And resting heart rate's the other one. Yes. I'm sorry. Is that the yeah. one that I dropped? I think I said sleep yeah. twice, didn't yeah. I? <laughs> yeah, resting. Thank you. Resting heart rate is the other variable. Yeah. Because the body's heart rate will tell you if it's under stress. Yeah. Whatever you want to put stress in. Food, sleep, family, relationships, finance, et cetera, yeah, exactly. et cetera. Yep. Thank Everything. you for clarifying that. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's that balancing act that we think yeah. that we can kind of push through. Yeah. I was talking to a guy yesterday. He's like, yeah, I pushed through the fatigue yesterday. I'm like saying, I said to him, I said, that's like saying you're going to push through a motor that's overheating. Yeah. You're just going to push through it. Yeah. What do you think is going to come on the other side of it? Yeah. And we were talking about heat stroke. He's training in weather that's about 35 degrees consistently. And he's yeah. struggling. Yeah. So and he's like, I'm going to push through the heat. Wrong, wrong approach. Yeah. yeah, you don't push through the heat. Not for long. No, no. Just like your motorcycle will eventually lock up. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, as a human, it's not as easy to rebuild. <laughs> the price is a little bit more expensive. You're in trouble. That's exactly right. At a lot of different levels, for sure. No, that's good. So, what, what have you? How have you found the caliber of riders over here? Like compared to the states? Obviously, the states is like the benchmark for people. They want to take their race into the next level yep it's a big goal for people whether it be off-road gncc racing sure. or ama how what do you think the caliber of riders is like in australia that you've seen so far you know i've been asked that a lot since i've been here and and i'm not sure why the australian market feels that there's such a disparity i wouldn't put you guys off but a slight tick yeah and i think the tick is off only because you can go into the cairo georgia area and literally in a ten uh, in a twenty kilometer radius, you can throw a blanket over eleven facilities. Yeah, right. You guys are eleven thousand kilometers from one another yeah. before you find another facility. Yeah. And I think it's one of those you as a country look back at the states and go, everybody's so good. Mm. Mm, they're not. They're not any better than what you know your top caliber riders are. Yeah. I think it's more of they have so many different places to ride, so they get good at dirt, they get good at clay, they get dirt, good at elevation and all that. For you to deviate from, you know, Albury, which is relatively flat, to say Mount Kemble, that's got a lot of elevation, that's a 10-hour drive for you guys. Yeah. I mean, back at the States, you could go two hours and have that. Like, for example, I live in Orlando, and from my house to, uh, I don't know, for the listeners, we manage Ricky Carmichael's Goat Farm Amateurs. Yeah. From my front door to his front door is five hours. But the elevation changes up there is it's like being in a different country altogether. We're yeah, talking right. five hours. Yeah. So when you and, and by the way, leaving Orlando and going to his place, I literally will go past seventy five tracks. Yeah. Private as well as public tracks. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> if you saw the private tracks, they look like because they literally bring in DreamWorks. Yeah. And and these guys pay them to build it, it's literally to scale. Track, yeah. It literally. Yeah. So I, I want all the listeners to understand there's not this huge gap. You know, look at how well Hunter Lawrence has done since you've come over to the States. He had yeah. to get kind of acclimated into that steep curve of Supercross. Yeah. But look at how well he's done. 
Mm-hmm. He's at, and look at him at outdoors in particular. Yeah, for sure. You guys have outdoors. He had, you know, and I'm sure you could give me five, six, seven guys that would be right on par. You know, Todd Waters has done really well. Yeah. Um, if you kept all equipment relevant, you know. Yeah, yeah. Lawrence has got a good ride, you know, that Geico bike. But yeah, I want all the listeners, use Hunter as a perfect example. Mm-hmm. There isn't this huge discrepancy. Look at Ferris. You yeah. know, Ferris was kind of working on trying to get the Yamaha, you know, getting thrown into a new bike. It's not like he had six months of off or three three months of off-season yeah, testing. Yeah, a bit of a hard deal. Yeah, but he's still in the top ten. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But that's he what I want get. the listeners to understand. You're, you know, you've already got a, a, a an overall with Lawrence. You've got Ferris, who's been in the top ten almost every moto yeah. that he's competed in. I know he just parted ways with um, mm. Yamaha, but just... I don't think the gap is as big as you guys think it is. Yeah, yeah. The one thing I will say that I respect over here is the receptiveness to learn. Yeah, right. You know, anybody who's listening to this back in the States will will agree. Most, particularly young riders, they think they know everything already because yeah. they've had 16 trainers and 44 mentors and all this by the time they're 11. <laughs> um, there was an article on Racer X today. Dan Bentley from Factory Hunter resigned. And one of his exact comments was, these riders have too many too many people in their corner his yeah. exact comment yeah. was and you can read the quote is he's like they've now got trainers yeah and they now have financial advisors mm-hmm. and they got all these man friends and then yeah so before it used to be mechanic an rider agent. and a team manager yeah now you have 17 people underneath <laughs> the awning and everybody's got an opinion yeah and everybody thinks they're right and then you get all this animosity and dissension that starts to get and that's what dan his exact words were the reason why he's stepping away from the sport is because of that and he's been verbal about it, and yeah. he's been perceived the wrong way. Yeah, that's the head guy at Honda. He's like, I'm out. Yeah, I'm done fighting the uphill battle. That's what we're dealing with in the states. Yeah, every ex-pro is now a physiologist. Yeah, every ex-pro is now a nutritionist. Every ex-pro is a psychologist. And I've said this on several podcasts as well. I read my 250F manual. There's not a factory team that should hire me. Yeah, but yet because I wore a certain color of gear or I was pitted out of a certain rig. Now I know everything about physiology. Yeah. I have a problem with that. Yeah. And I'm very vocal about it. Any ex-pro that wants to come in here and wants to have a, a legitimate, educated conversation about lactate threshold, stretch reflex, how the left and the right brain works, how a, how a motorcycle's gyroscope works. Yeah. Never met a pro that could talk to me about it. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I've got some great friends. Jeff Stanton. I mean, some of the guys I've admired for years. I've had great conversations with RC. Yeah. You know? My point is, those guys, they can do it, mm. being able to convey it. Ricky's probably one of the best. Jeff is very good at it as well. Yeah. Jeff Emig's a good guy at it as well. But the idea here is is the ones that come off of a factory ride, and now they're all of a sudden a human performance coach, and then want to argue. Yeah, That's when I'm like, bring it. <laughs> you know, Very politely, bring it. If yeah. you want to sit down like we're doing here comfortably, and you want to have an adult conversation... And not scream and call names. Yeah. Because I'm not going to sit and get into a deep conversation with Bones Bacon over at Pro Circuit about coding the inside of suspension. And because I've had great conversations when he was working with Christoph Purcell. And, you know, Christoph wanted the, the back wheel as far forward. And I forgot, I think it was maybe, I think it was actually Martin. Martin liked it far further in the back. Yeah. And so he's telling me how the, the angles of the linkage is changing. I'm like, man, my head's about to blow up. I'm fascinated with it. Yeah. But he's measuring stuff to the nth degree. Yeah, yeah. And he's talking about that changes the start and it changes where they're sitting on the seat. And 
But am I going to sit and argue with Bones that he shouldn't have that rebound and compression set to X and Y clicks? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Really? <laughs> but yet I'll have an ex-pro that wants to argue with me about whether or not, and I've had this argument, literally, that one of my clients that I sent to him as a riding coach, the riding coach is now telling my rider that he's eating too much protein. Yeah, right. And he honestly told him not to eat eggs for breakfast, but to eat cereal. Yeah. And this is an ex-pro. Bad advice And his right wife, that, here you go, here's where it gets really deep. <laughs> Ex-pro, whose wife went and got a nutritional weekend degree. Yeah. And the wife says, you need to get a little more carbs in your system. Yeah. Well, let's talk about glycemic <laughs> index. Yeah. And you're just like, huh? What's glycemic index? Well, you just told the kid to eat cereal. Yeah. Which, by the way, it has to be with skim milk. So yeah, a little bit you, more sugar. You don't want that fat in there. <laughs> exactly. Because fat's, you know, fat's the enemy. Yeah. Instead of talking about... Anyway, I could go about this. It's just a huge bone of contention. So yeah, I like yeah. what you're saying there. Yeah. You know? It's a it's a it's a slippery slope. <laughs> and what about like I know Mount Kembla as a facility was awesome, mm-hmm. and I know you mentioned that if you could have that back where you were, you'd, oh, you'd be wrapped. So it's unbelievable. How have you found? I guess the caliber of the the tracks, especially Mount Kembla, like it was pretty. Yeah, pretty the well tracks maintained. have been unbelievable. You know, we've we've seen pictures of of, and I apologize for the listeners because I'm still learning the, the the enunciations a little bit better. But you know, looking at the videos of Nara and looking at Cessnock and stuff like that, they look great. But then you look, there's always a good guy behind it. Yeah. You know, JD over at Mount Kemble is doing a great job. Yeah. You got Tyson that's taken over at, you know, NARA and stuff. There, there's just a lot of good guys that are behind it that understand that there's a maintenance of the dirt. Not, no disrespect to anybody in the States that's listening to this, but we don't have the same attention to detail. Yeah. We just don't. We'll drag a dozer over it. It looks nice and smooth. And then as soon as four bikes go through it, you realize it just plumes out and what's below it is still it's not been ripped it's not been moist yeah. it's not been really done the right way yeah, yeah. Um, we have a couple of tracks in Florida in particular that are you know they're clay based or quarry based yeah. and if that doesn't get if the maintenance of the water and it doesn't get ripped properly it becomes concrete yeah and the longer you let it go the longer it takes to get it back yeah I haven't seen anything like that here yeah and you know the props to the guys at Mount Kembla you know, the tracks that we're using here, um, you know, they look phenomenal. Even with a lot of rain that we've gotten, they know how to get them tilled and, and prepped properly or seal them if we know we're going to get a lot of water. Yeah. Not that they don't do it there, but usually at the States, unless it's a, a pro national, they're not going to seal the track. Yeah, you know, yeah. they're not going to go to that extent. It's just yeah. kind of, we're going to just let it happen and Deal you guys will race whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, when you go back to your original question, the riders, the gap isn't as big as people think. And the tracks over here are just as, as incredibly technical. I mean, your your Mount Kembla reminds me a lot of Millville. Yeah. A that, lot like Millville. That's the first time I've ridden there, but it was yep. awesome. I loved it. Unbelievable. The, the elevation Coming from off-road, so I love hills. Sure. Um, yeah. But And it was, yeah, technical in parts with those the drop-offs. and Yep. Yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, you guys have done a great job over here. And that's what I hope the listeners understanding is, you know, our tracks are not that much better. Our riders are not that much better. It's kind of that perceptions reality thing, and that's yeah, where TV yeah. can really distort it. Yeah, um, I have no reason to blow smoke up at any of the listeners' tail ends. You know, all the riders, even the little sixty-five riders, you know, yeah. they're aggressive. They're good listeners. Yeah, and that's that's the thing that attracts me to the Australian market so much is the receptiveness to learn. Mm. You know, uh, the parents are good. We all know that some of the moto dads could be very difficult to deal with, and even the dads would come up and ask questions afterwards for clarification, where. 
I'm not getting questions about clarification at home. I'm getting arguments. Yeah. Well, this coach said this and this guy said that. Okay, that's cool. Call the coach up. Let's talk about it. I'm not going to say that I'm going to prove that I'm right, but I'm going to prove I'm not wrong. Yeah. Not because of my opinion, but because I'm going to show you how the bike's going to respond or how the body's going to respond. That's what I want the listeners to understand is it's never about me. It's about you and your motorcycle and your frustrations. But I have a responsibility to help you understand it. Once you understand it, you don't need me. And that's what I want yeah, is I want right. people, hire us for six months. Let's figure it out. And my goal is to always get you on your own. That's why we just launched mm-hmm. a, a Moto E membership area. It'll go live here in about two to three weeks. But the idea is... I want to empower people with resources. Yeah. I want them to be accountable and responsible and go. Yes. Go do your thing. Yeah. If you want to meet with me one-on-one, that's why you have camps and clinics. Yeah. Um, I'm not the kind of person that wants to keep people just dangling on. And, and I have said on public knowledge or public, public record, I do have clients I've had for 12, 15 years. But that's because their personal goals change. Mm. I have one guy that's gone from moto to triathlon to mountain biking. Now he wants to go back to Loretta's this year. Still wants to mountain bike race. Still wants to do triathlons. Well, we have a triathlon division, so that was a two-year buildup. When we he wanted to go into Loretta's, that was a new transition. Yeah, he yeah. decided to do a couple hair scrambles and enduros. That was a different transition. Yeah. So that's how the years add up. Because I don't want somebody to say, oh, you talk about work and then go away. No. Yeah. If your goals change. And you got to remember, most of what I'm trying to do is when I've got a one-on-one client, I'm trying to get you to understand the theories and the concepts as it applies to you where you're at. Mm. Some guys don't want that or have the time for it, yeah. you know? So that, that's a big component of it as well. But uh, it's not about keeping people in the dark all the time, as, you know, as you've heard me tease about. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we don't want them to be dependent on us. We want them to be empowered. Yeah. Big difference. Totally, for yeah. sure. So tell us about what, what do you think, I guess, what can you see that Australia needs to take their... I guess their success or the level of racing to the next level. I think it's going to be more of the investment in the youth. You know, if you think about it from a a supply stream standpoint, what's coming in is so narrow. And if you think about a stream going into the ocean, it's like there's not enough water coming in to keep the ocean going. Mm. And it's, it's not just here. It's back home as well. Um, I think if, and, and, you know, talking and and I don't want any track that's listening to us. I don't want, to sound like I'm being remiss, but speaking directly with Nara, his whole vision is his peewee, or we call them peewee tracks. I think you call them junior tracks yeah, or nipper tracks. Yeah. I don't know the exact term on those, but at home, well, at at the Nara track, he's investing as much effort into that peewee track as he does the big track because he knows if they pay, stay and refer, that's going to sell bikes. They're going to buy bigger gear as they grow. Yeah. And I think that's, what's got to change. And you know, we've had some great conversations with NSW while we're here. Uh, they've got Lauren, the new marketing director. She's very, very motivated to to grow the sport. And I yeah. think that's the answer to your biggest question is the sport needs to grow. And it's only going to grow from the bottom up. Yeah. If you have the same eight or ten people that are sucking the sport dry, yeah. eventually they're going to go away. It's just everybody ages, whether we want to admit it or not. Cause of course, I'm yeah. 28 again. Um, but the idea here <laughs> is people need to turn that model upside down. You know, that's why... I, like I own my own amateur team yeah. and at the, at the end of every call, we do a call every week. I say, you've got to take one of these pieces of information and give it forward this week Yeah, because we need the sport to grow. Mm. I get questions all the time. I've had people that I've worked with. Um, one particular guy that I worked with worked him up. He wanted to become a coach. I got him placed at a facility. He's now making a living there. 
And now, of course, he's taken my methodology. He's applying it. So I get a phone call from somebody who said, hey, don't you feel like this guy's stealing your info? I said, no. He's yeah. giving it forward. Yeah, yeah. Because to me, there's... Making the school better. That's right. And there's plenty of riders yeah. that need good instruction. And what we need is more good coaches, yeah. such as yourself. And that's not to blow smoke up your tail end to anyone who's listening. But, yeah. you know, we, you and I forming a partnership, you being a Moto E performance coach, is because I do see your vision. I do see your passion. We see a lot of, uh, you know, a lot in line with one another. Yeah. We want the sport to grow. Yeah. And it, it, everybody's got to make a living. You've got two little ones. I have, you know, three little ones. I call them little. They don't like to be told that, but I think they're <laughs> little. You know, I've got three little ones at home. And we all have balance to feed. We have responsibilities. We have companies that we need to run. But at the end of the day, it's not about price gouging anybody. It's about giving that information forward, letting the sport grow. And trust me, there's enough riders out there yeah, to have a million good coaches. Yeah, It's the key is getting the educated coaches. Um, just for the listeners, this will be the first place that we've publicly discussed it, but we've got a Moto E coaching certification that we're working on. And when that goes public, that's exactly what we're going to do is mm-hmm. we want people to be following the same methodology about how to do it right. Yeah, We said it at the beginning of today's podcast, tying the physiology with the physics of a motorcycle. Yeah. There's a right and a wrong way. The right way is a blast. You felt it yourself. You even mentioned it to me off the record. Yeah. You know, also in the cornering is easier. Yeah, yeah. Landing the backsides are easier. Rhythm sections aren't so frustrating. Great. Glad to hear it. Yeah. Now you're going to be enjoying riding your motorcycle longer, faster, and safer. Absolutely. Yeah. How does that model break? Yeah. But when everybody starts getting selfish, you know, they don't like the success that Ben's got. He's got too many athletes he's coaching. Really? That to me seems like an oxymoron. But. If people can get away from trying to be just take, 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 take and start to give it out a little bit more, sport's going to flourish. Tracks are going to flourish. You know, uh, City Coast Cycles, you know, they're, they're going to sell more bikes. Yeah. Uh, you know, they've been phenomenal. Having They hosted our first Meet the Coach. We're going tonight to uh, Buzz's, you know, Bikes and Bits. Yeah. Is it Bits and Bikes? Buzz's Bikes and Bits, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I don't want to make that say that because I love that. I love the way it says but, you know, we want him to move bikes. We want people to get excited. We yeah. want listeners that maybe got away from the sport, come back to it. You know, we still have inexpensive bikes like Two Strokes that you can still rebuild and have fun with. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I want them to reach out to you and, you know, get strong, get flexible, understand nutrition so they can ride those dirt bikes and ride off-road two, three hours, you know, and have fun with it. That's really what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. Well, unfortunately, I think some people... The way I'll get it, they've either got a growth mindset or fear-based. Yep. And if you're a coach and you've got a fear-based mentality, yep. you're, you don't want anyone to know what you know. Or That's right. Someone's going to take your... That's right. If, you, if you've got a growth mindset, you know, like you and I both know, there's absolutely more than enough information out there. Yes. There's more than enough people out there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so and sadly, people... people put themselves... They, sure. They minimize themselves when they do that. No, you're exactly right. I couldn't agree with you more. That mindset's got to change. Yeah, yeah. And it will. So tell us a little bit, because we we probably better start wrapping up so yep. we can get down to buzzers. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but tell us a bit about what you've got planned with the Moto E facilities in Australia. Well, what we've been working on is we've, we've had a 10-year plan that we've been working on. So back in the States, we have four, soon to be six facilities which will be, they're all Moto E facilities that we're co-branded. We don't own the facilities. I'm not in the business of dirt. 
um, and dozers. I don't know how to move dirt and I don't know how to run <laughs> dozers. Even though I want to learn how to run a dozer, I, Michaela can attest to that. I'm always fascinated with dozers. <laughs> anyway, I digress. But um, we have four facilities that what we want to do is we want to build an amateur development program where athletes around the world can come to the States. We've got the facilities in place. They're using the, the Moto E methodology. And what we want to do is, particularly for the kids that are on 85s or 125s, what we want to do is give them a landing place where they can come over and race Minios, Daytona, Freestone, Mammoth, do the qualifiers for Loretta's, and go experience the big show. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it's so daunting for people on the other side of the ocean because they're like, where do I start? And I've been hit up so many times on that. So it started about 15 years ago, kind of bounced it around, and then we started making it a business segment that we wanted. So that's why I say the last 10 years we've really been working on it. And so what we're doing now that we're in Australia is you've got a relatively large country. And so what we're going to do is we're going to create Moto E coaching hubs all the way around the country of Australia. So we have yourself here in Oldbury. We've got Ben Franklin that's up at Mount Kembla. Uh, we're working with um, the down in Melbourne in the Perth area, um, working in, in that area. Um, what we want to then do is then branch it off and get into like the NARA area so that there's no overlap. But if somebody that really likes what we're doing, they know that they can call you up and they're going to have a consistent, like we were saying earlier, yeah. there needs to be a consistency at these facilities yeah. and we need to create one huge network. Yeah. Um, our goal is we want to work very closely with NSW. We want to start providing videos and articles and live webinars to all 120 tracks, no matter what the size that they're, you know, the, the, the smaller size tracks are the big ones. Anybody who rides there, we want to be a resource for them. Yeah. With the ultimate goal of if you want to come to the States, as I mentioned earlier, we own our own amateur development program. We've had it for, this will, this will be our 13th year or 15th year, I apologize. Because we, we started originally with only having a co-factory team. It kind of blossomed and then we started a factory team. So we only have a three-man factory team, and then we have a 10-person co-factory team. Yeah. So what we're going to do is if somebody is here in your area and they're like, yep, I want to come to the States, without sounding arrogant, unless you give them the stamp of approval, we won't entertain bringing them to the States. Yeah, because right. what I want the listeners to understand is it's not who's got the deepest pockets, it's got the most heart. Because yeah. I can take and work with dedication and heart. I can't work with a spoiled brat whose mm -hmm. mom or dad has a boatload of money. Yeah, that's right. If you want to do that, there's tons of facilities in the States that you can go drop your kids off and I'll put them in a half money. million dollars and they'll take your money guaranteed. Yeah. What we're looking at doing is building an experience for these athletes to, to really learn and get a chance. You're not going to come over to the States as a 250 pro and make it. It's yeah. just a raw reality. Yeah, for there's, sure. There's, I mean, these teams are picking these kids up at five and six year contracts on super minis. Yeah. If you don't get into that cycle early, but I will say this politely, because of the sponsors we have, 60 Helmets, Shades of Grey, um, you know, we have some really, really good sponsors. So now when the riders come over, if you don't have a, a, a goggle sponsor, we can hook you up. We've got Liat. We've got 60, like I said. Yeah. You know, so when we look at all of those things that are already in place, saves the parents money. They get a place to stay. They, we know what and where to go. They don't have to live at a facility. We want them to live in a house. We want the kids to have a normal life, not be homeschooled and living in a motorhome in 12 square meters. You know, what we're interested in is they have a balanced life. 
We're just trying to do it differently. We've seen how the other side doesn't work, so that's why we're putting it together this way. So the goal is, as we continue to to build these Moto E hubs around the country, then have an ultimate place for them to come to. So that's the goal. And we'll be able to announce who each one of the human performance coaches are once we get those solidified. I don't want to throw names out there and then somebody say, oh, you didn't tell me that that was already done. So obviously you're in place, Ben's in place. Um, you know, Perth and Melbourne is right on the, or excuse me, Melbourne, I think is the way you say it. <laughs> so that, uh, that's almost in place there. And then we'll see what, where the other facilities pick up. So yeah, we're awesome. super excited about it. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to be really good. It's been a long, it's been a long road, but uh, nothing good comes easy. What do they say, Rome? Uh, or what do they call it, the uh, five-year overnight success? Yeah, you know? that's it. Yeah, that's, that's where we're at with it. But uh, <laughs> we, we appreciate the opportunity to, to be over here. It's a great country, and everybody involved with the tracks, track managers, and I may be giving the wrong titles, but everybody's been fantastic. It's a pleasure to be here. And the receptiveness has been very, very well. Uh, it's, it's overwhelming for me because it's just cool. They're really cool people, you know, and they treat me like a human, which is, which is nice. You know, I just want to give info and they want to listen to it. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that was what was so cool at that camp. Like the people, they were, they wanted, they were lapping it up. Absolutely. That knowledge. So yeah, that's what was so, I guess I came away from it realizing that people need that. Yep. A lot because you can, I guess, sort of often think that, like you said, they don't, they don't, not, I guess they don't have the information or they're not making those choices, but it's probably because they haven't been given that, that platform. Sure. So, yeah, I came away from that just realizing that, like, these kids and these parents do want this information. They really need it. No, so. I agree. Well, and, and even when we were over at, at City Coast Cycles, you know, it's, a lot of the things that were said was, I never thought about it that way. Mm. I didn't think about it that way. No one's ever presented it that way. That's when I know that we're doing the right thing. Yeah. You know, we have a different approach and, and, and I like what we do and I like the results of it. Like I said earlier, it's not about me. It's about all the listeners knowing what to do, why to do it, understanding how to do it, and then just enjoy it. So that's it. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you coming over here. No, thanks for the invite. To Aubrey. It's going to be good. (laughs) Thanks for your time. All right. Thank you. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Ben Greenwood High Performance Podcast. For more information on this podcast episode, please check out the show notes and to check out more of my content, shoot over to my website, www.100percentstrength. That's www.100percentstrength.com. 100% strength to us means giving 100% effort to any challenge we face whether that's in life, whether that's in the gym, or whether that's out on the track. So you can check out some of our free content online. We've got a blog there. We've also got an email list you can subscribe to to stay up to date with events, tips and tricks on a weekly basis. And I'd really appreciate you give us a follow on Facebook or Insta too. Until the next episode, give it 100%. Peace out.